Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Kristen Pagano. She's the Vice President of Marketing at Munchkin. There she oversees the strategies and tactics designed to grow the Munchkin business before joining Munchkin in 2012. Kristen held key marketing positions at Activision, Intel, and 20th Century Fox, implementing marketing campaigns for multi-billion dollar brands. On the show today, we talk about the Munchkin business, the size and scope of it, how they're expanding the business with new brand like Curio, and what the core baby product business looks like, declining birth rates, and other headwinds against the industry and how they're innovating both in products, how they attach themselves to sustainability and social responsibility campaigns, and what they're doing from a distribution standpoint to innovate as well. All of these things leading to them being number eight on the most innovative companies and much more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kristen Pagano. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Before we get into the business side, I hear you are an aspiring seamstress. <laughs> tell me, tell me more about that. 
Yeah. As a listener of your podcast, I've had the opportunity to hear you ask people, you know, what it is about them that's interesting. So I had a little bit of time to reflect and it hasn't been an easy question. Honestly, I I consider myself very similar to the other millions of working moms out there, albeit I have a really cool job, but I took even a further step back and looked at my mom and she had this amazing superpower when we were growing up. Not only was she a working mom, Um, which was a little bit less common back then, but she also was an amazing seamstress. And when I say that, it's not just about like being able to hem a pair of pants. It's the kind of person who sewed her own wedding dress. And every year growing up, my brother and I had these amazing homemade Halloween costumes. And that's transitioned to now her grandkids. And she's making four Halloween costumes a year. She has kept it up. And I look back and I don't even know how to sew a button onto my own shirt. And so I realized, you know, this is something that I hope to be able to continue one day. So I don't necessarily think I will ever get to her skill level, but I have signed myself up for sewing lessons. And I am hoping (laughs) that within a few years, I'll be able to at least sew a button or hem some pants and one day create Halloween costumes all on my own. I love that. I love that. And man, what a... What a gift, you know, to have somebody in your family that can do that. <laughs> yeah. And the memories of those costumes, et cetera. I mean, that that's pretty amazing. Exactly. And like I said, to have my kids, other than them recycling them and using them again, hopefully one day I can create the same memories for them. I love it. I love it. Well, best of luck as you, as you go on that journey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am not the handiest person myself. I get, I can do little things around the house, but I've never tackled anything like that. So good luck. Good luck. Thank um, you. Well, from uh, you know becoming a, a, a new seamstress to <laughs> VP of marketing at Munchkin, how'd you? Where did you get your your career started, and and how'd you end up in the role you are now? Yeah, I started as a media planner at Starcom in Chicago. I at that point, it was my first, you know, job out of school. I had never been to Chicago. I don't think I had any idea what a media planner did, <laughs> but it sounded like a really fun opportunity and it was. I moved there, lasted approximately one Chicago winter, and then they won the Walt Disney account out in Los Angeles, which is where I was from. Um, So I took that opportunity to get back out to LA and started my career in entertainment, working on the media planning side, working on Walt Disney theatrical releases, Uh, had the opportunity to move client side at 20th Century Fox, but still focused on a very media-centric role, Uh, and then realized that that was a pretty limited view of that overall marketing mix and wanted to broaden my experience. So at that point, I went back to business school, got my MBA, and then worked at Intel, which was a really fascinating shift. And if you think about a company that has built an amazing brand with something you don't see, can't touch, and really don't understand how it works. And so I thought it'd be a really fun foundation in how to build a brand from a marketing perspective. But I was working more in a B2B role there and then was able to transition from there to Activision, which was a nice hybrid of entertainment and technology. And I got to work on their Guitar Hero brand, which was definitely of interest to me as a non-gamer. And so really got to get immersed in that world. And then following that experience and that kind of first true brand management role, Mm. I had the opportunity to move over to Munchkin. At that point, I had a six-month-old. And so it was really the first time the product mix and life stage and what I really wanted to do lined up. And I started as a brand manager on the Cups business and have worked my way up and am now VP of marketing of the entire team. 
And so it's been a really fun journey. I love it. I love it. And I, I have a 15-year-old daughter, so this dates me, but I do remember buying lots of munchkin things. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> cups, I think spoons. Yeah, lots of things. It was, they're very nicely designed products. And, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But like, tell me a little bit about the munchkin business today. Like help me update my knowledge and, and listeners understand kind of the size, scope, the type of thing that you guys do. Absolutely. Munchkin was actually founded here in Los Angeles in 1990. So it's well over 30 years old now. And so so those first Munchkin kids are now parents themselves. And we've got at this point over six offices around the world. And I think one of the fun ways to quantify it for me is that last year we sold 47 million products in the US. So if you take a step back, that's almost 13 products for every baby born. Um, so it is a, a massive brand and we're, you know, number one or number two in the majority of the different categories that we play in on the shelves of Walmart, Target, Amazon, and then available in more than 50 countries um, at this mm. point. I think a cool milestone that we achieved this year is we were selected as number eight on Fortune's list of America's most innovative companies. Um, and if you think about the company we keep there, it's Alphabet, IBM, and Apple. So we are really, really proud of that as kind of, you know, a smaller baby brand. But I think this year we've taken that next step towards becoming a house of brands. I mean, we recently launched Curio, which is a premium home lifestyle brand. So it's just the beginning. I think stay tuned for additional category expansion opportunities from us. But we've really grown from a baby company into a much, much larger business at this point. Uh, I love that. I love that. And tell me a little bit about like, I want to save the product conversation because the your stat and, and accolade, if you will, on number eight, most innovative companies. I'll save that for a moment. <laughs> but tell me like what marketing looks like at Munchkin. How, and how has that evolved since you've been there? Yeah, marketing is is really fascinating in this space because if you think about it, we have a really, really narrow target audience. Um, and, you know, it's primarily families and caregivers with kids. I would call it ages zero to three plus ish. But we're also even on top of that narrow audience facing a declining birth rate. And I lo- looked up the stat recently that U.S. birth rate has fallen 20 percent since 2007. That's a crazy number on your target audience to be losing. So not only do we have a limited lifetime value, but it's also been shrinking for for quite a while. And so we really need to focus on kind of functionality and innovation of our products to deliver Mm -hmm. and delight those customers. So I think we spend a lot of time on product and packaging to really communicate that value proposition. But we also work on creating a really strong emotional connection with our audience through a couple of different ways. And it's not necessarily big traditional advertising budgets because based on the size of our audience, it just doesn't make a lot of sense and there's so much waste. Um, but we do it through content. So we've got a podcast called Stroller Coaster that's now in its fourth season. Um, it's, it allows us to have that ongoing communication. It's not monetized. It really is about brand building for us and providing that content and that that dialogue and conversation that the parents are looking for. But also, I would say we do it in a really cool way through CSR. And mm. consumers more than ever are looking for brands that align with them. And we it's part of our DNA and who we are. And I think that that's another way that we help connect with them from a marketing perspective too. So although we don't do a lot in the traditional media space, we do targeted, targeted marketing spends. And we actually have a connected TV campaign running as well. Um, this year, really focusing on a, from a master brand perspective 
because when you think about a product line with over 400 SKUs, it's really hard to do it on a product by product basis. Uh, mm. But when we've got this gear campaign really highlighting a few of those higher ticket, higher uh, impact purchases, like high chair strollers and swings, mm. that really will give that whole munchkin halo effect. So there are a couple of different ways, but like I said, given that size of that shrinking audience, and we really do need to be targeted and focused. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, things like the connected TV and I'm sure the content also lends itself to, to reaching that targeted audience. Uh, Absolutely. Much more no, yes. Right. Yeah. Amazing that you could be watching literally the same show as your next door neighbor and right. not be getting the same ads, right? Yeah, exactly. And frankly, from a consumer standpoint, I mean, it makes the, the experience much more attractive too. Right. And relevant. Yeah. Relevant. Yeah. Because of the relevance in particular. So that's awesome. Well, let's get back to product. I told you we would come back to it. Uh, (laughs) The product is so important to what you guys do and the the innovation around the products seems to play a huge role and you're obviously getting awarded for it. How do you approach product strategy and innovation? Absolutely. I think it is to, to your point, it is core to everything we do. I think at this point, it changes almost on a daily basis, but we have 331 patents, which is more patents than employees, which is just crazy. Um, and so we <laughs> average about 20 a year. And so I said, I, every time I have to go and I check on our website just to make sure that I'm up to date, but it's really ultimately, it's so, so how do you build a better differentiated product, right? That's not just another me too. And I think that that is ultimately what leads people back to picking Munchkin uh, because of that quality of product and the innovation we bring to them. And so if you take a step back, it's like, okay, what problem are we solving for the consumer? And in coming at it in a new and interesting way, I think one of our new products, the, our UV diaper pail. So if you think about diaper pail, the most important thing is odor control. And we've got odor control. We're number one in odor control across our pails. And so we had that solved. But what else? What's next? What else can we do to help that consumer? And number two is germ control. Mm-hmm. So now we've added UV lights to the top of the pail. And literally every time that then this pail closes, it's being san- that, that top lid is being sanitized. And then moms don't have to worry about either odor control or germ control at this point. So it's really thinking about what next problem can I solve in a new and unique way. And then I would say it's the next step is about how do we not only build a product, but build a category Yeah, because you can be so much more impactful in that way. And I think that this is the, the example I like to use here is our miracle cups. So at that point, this was probably within the first couple of years that I joined the Munchkin team. No one thought that you could really create a leak-free cup that didn't have that sippy style spout. Um, and we did that with the Miracle Cup. And the problem with a traditional sippy spout is that it can inhibit oral normal speech pattern development. Mm. And so we launched a cup that revolutionized our cups market for sure in that not only was it the most expensive cup that we had sold at that point in time, but it was also very quickly the number one cup from a volume perspective. And now since launching in 2014, we've sold over 75 million of them and really created an entirely new spoutless cup design in the market that I think has over kind of 25% share of that sippy market now. So really evolved what the cups market was. So I think that that's just a couple of the ways we look at category transformation. I love it. I love it. I mean, the more I look at the products on on your site and they are truly innovative, like I I wish I could have had that like nice fold up high chair that I see. (laughs) And it's so much more attractive than the things I had in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. And it wasn't even 
right? Not that long ago. I know. I know. I know. It looks like it should belong in the house. But uh, I mean, you guys are my words, but like like the idea of baby products. <laughs> I like it. I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's phenomenal. And you, and you said 331 patents is more patents than people. How many people are at the company that, that a, create all think- this magic? I think we are close to that 300 mark right okay. now. I think we're a little okay. bit below it, but right about there. That's simply kind of amazing, to be honest. You mentioned earlier on this commitment to CSR and sustainability. How does that factor in, if you don't mind? Well, absolutely. I think it factors into every bit of who we are. And I think we look for really unique ways that it can have an outsized impact on that broader world around us. Um, so first of all, we are a one of the few non-Fortune 500 companies to be part of the UN Global Compact. And so that kind of colors everything we do and holds us accountable to achieving more and more from a sustainability perspective every year. And second, I would highlight our relationship with IFA, who is the International Fund for Animal Welfare. So not only do we have a full line of wild love cups and bath toys that are really helped designed to educate children about endangered animals and their habitat, but it's also a way to facilitate that conversation between parent and children about it. And we also have made one of the largest uh, donations to date for us to Room to Roam, which is a project that IFA is doing designed to protect 90,000 acres of endangered territory in Africa. So they are, we are leasing this land and allowing it as a passageway for elephants and other animals that now poachers and hunters no longer have access to. So it's really coming up with interesting and impactful ways to make a difference. And from even from a product perspective, we're trying to do different things as well. For our diaper pail, we've planted over 4 million trees with Trees for the Future, who are planting trees in some of the most overforested areas in Africa, all the way to from a really tactical product perspective, launching bamboo dinnerware, uh, moving all of our plastic packaging to paper packaging, which has been no easy feat. If you do look at even just our cups portfolio, that required over 250 different transit tests and a lot of different changes in how we work. But ultimately on cups alone, that's going to reduce our plastic use by over 600,000 pounds of plastic annually. So really trying to find a way to impact in every capacity of our business, not just product, not just donations, but how do we do this on multiple fronts? Mm, I love it. I love it. And some of those, I mean, like the the IFA piece in particular, I mean, a little bit unexpected. But if Absolutely. I think about, but you know, if I think about like what we decorated rooms with, there were lots of animals. <laughs> so right? it makes sense to naturally tie that in. It also keys into, you know, you've got this little new bundle of joy that you're trying to, trying to figure out how to raise a human being. And you want them to live in a world that's going to be sustainable. So like, I love the tie-in, but it was also a little bit unexpected when I heard it. Which I think, you know, at first when people started to hear some of the things we were trying to do as a company, yeah, they they scratched their head a little bit. But as we've been able to show that full vision and really creating that more sustainable, better world for future generations, it's really had an, an exciting impact. Yeah, no, that's super, super cool. Super cool what you guys are doing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Well, I know we talked about product. And I heard this thing, it may have been in our intro call when we were talking that if you guys, if a product is not successful, I may get this wrong, if product's not successful or achieve like five stars or something of that nature, you guys kill the product eventually. Is that right? Don't, don't go to five yet. Okay. <laughs> we'll be okay. There soon. No, but no, absolutely. Um, I think that when you take a step back and look at it, one of the stats we were able to uncover is that over 92% of products sold on Amazon are sold on products that are 4.0 or above. Um, mm. And so your consumers are really telling you out there what makes sense, what they like, what they don't like about a product. And so we've started at kind of a 4.0 as our floor of, hey, look, if, you're, if our products don't achieve a 4.0 or above, we've got six months as a company to fix that problem. Or to your point, we do discontinue it. I think we're really proud of where we've gotten I think overall, our as a company portfolio, we're like an average of 4.59 um, stars, mm. which is really exciting. We track this on a monthly basis. We've got a whole team dedicated to monitoring this on an ongoing basis to make sure we're, we're watching where things are going. And we've got over 1.3 five-star reviews across the portfolio. Wow. So just amazing. a fun metric to follow and watch grow and one that everybody can understand and get behind. And I think you know, we were one of the first companies to be able to be actively talking to our retail partners about this and why even brick and mortar retailers should care about this number and what was happening online. So we've really embedded that as part of our culture and process. I love that. I love that. And I didn't mean to raise the bar. I, I don't know what I was no, thinking. Five we'll, stars. We'll, we'll is... be soon. It will be soon. <laughs> Five stars is really hard. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I love, I mean, one, I love the innovation that you guys have, of course, but it's also innovation that works. Otherwise, get rid like let's stop putting it out there right like absolutely uh, and make it better and you've got this continuous improvement effort if you do launch something that's not quite right you can fix it but uh if we can't fix it it's not worth doing <laughs> agreed uh, so and then you know with the csr component as well love that you mentioned retail i want to come to distribution like that's obviously a huge growth lever how are you working with those retail and distribution partners to grow their business and your business? Absolutely. And I think our the retail landscape, I think, you know, across the board continues to change. And uh, probably five or six years ago, first we lost Babies R Us. Most recently, we've lost Bye Bye Baby. So as that shift, we have to be one step ahead to continue growing <laughs> as retailers shift, our target audience shifts. And we really have to focus on our product and how we're delivering and how we're helping to, as you mentioned, grow their business at a retail level. I think one of the things we've done very successfully is we pitch as not products, but as partners. And how do we work together and mutually grow our business? And I think that leaning in with them has really helped. You know, One of the things was we are on 
Amazon's advisory board. So we're one mm. of only 20 companies selected. It was originally 17 and about one of the only Fortune 50 companies on there because of our attention to detail, supply chain and marketing excellence. And now we've got a seat at that table um, where we, we get to meet with them month on a monthly basis and talk about what's happening and going on and staying one step ahead of that. And I think from a brick and mortar perspective, we've been able to bring that online expertise because as you look at it from a brick and mortar perspective, one of their unique advantages is that ability to order online and pick up at store. Um, yeah. But if you looked at the Munchkin portfolio, we really weren't set up for that a few years ago. I mean, the majority of our products on the same peg, because we're so bright, because we're so colorful, on any given cup peg, for example, you'd have a pink, green, purple, and blue cup. Mm. Well, if you think about what that means from an ordering online perspective, you couldn't pick which color cup you wanted because uh. all the person picking it up could recognize is that, well, they want this cup. I don't know what color because from a very tactical perspective, they all have the same UPC. Right. So right. we worked very closely with them to how do we find that right assortment and de-assort literally the entire portfolio overnight to figure out how to enable our audience who parents we know are one of the biggest users of pickup at store um, and enable them to actually be able to get our product that way. Um, so, you know, from an operational perspective, I think it multiplied our number of SKUs four times in a lot of these subcategories overnight. Uh, but it was the right thing to do to help grow our business with these retail partners. Um, and I think, you know, we were one of the first companies to be able to shift very quickly and nimbly and do that. Um, to be able to capitalize on a new way of doing business. I love it. Well, I mean, you're you're not only innovating products, innovating the way CSR can be applied to your business, you're innovating the distribution and what you got to do to achieve that. You guys are hitting <laughs> on all cylinders. Um, it's pretty amazing. We're busy. I love it. Yes, yes, you are. You are very busy. And obviously, you know, it's working and and you're expanding product lines as well. I have not checked out the Curio thing you mentioned earlier, but I've got to check that out. That sounds pretty interesting from a lifestyle business as well. So please do. It's yeah, looking at new categories that haven't been looked at in a long time. And how do you make your home and you know, you spend so much time and money and effort on your kitchen. How do you make those tools that are part of your kitchen match your lifestyle? That's just the beginning, but where, where we have kind of started. I love it. I love it. Well, um, one of the things we'd love to do, uh, we already know you, you've got a new hobby that may turn into something more around, <laughs> around sewing and, <laughs> and making things, but we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. And, and my favorite question to ask everyone that comes on the show is, has there been an experience of your past that defines and makes up who you are today? Yeah, you know, I think there are certainly a couple, but one that definitely comes to mind is when I took the opportunity to work at Intel, um, mm. I, I think it, it initially it was a very easy decision for me. Like I said, I was so excited to go kind of work for one of these amazingly well-known brands that no one could really tell you why they needed it. They just knew they needed the one with Intel inside, right? Mm -hmm. And I was hired to work on their consumer team, which was really exciting. And I got up there, I started my job, I was about two weeks in and they were at a really pivotal moment that coming in from the outside, I didn't necessarily understand. But within that first month, 50% of the marketing staff was ultimately laid off. So ultimately, the great news coming out of that was I still had a job. The not as great news from my perspective at that time was my role had dramatically shifted. And I wasn't going to be focused on a consumer audience anymore, but I was going to join their B2B team. 
So definitely different than I anticipated. I had a new role, a new boss, and not kind of the avenue I thought I was going down. But I decided that I was there and you're going to jump in and you're going to learn and see what you can do. And all of a sudden, I was like working on arming our sales team to help them sell our portfolio into ODM customers. Um, And it was really about figuring out a new way and a new way to simplify, create collateral that was a very complicated subject to something the sales team to sales team could really understand and understand the benefit of why a one core processor was different and simpler and less expensive than a four core multi-core processor. Mm. And it was really something in engineering, <laughs> complicated <laughs> thing that I, if I could wrap my head around, I knew that I could help somebody else sell. So mm. it was this really invaluable skill set that I was able to take away on how do you communicate something that can be really complicated in a simple, succinct and clear manner. And so I think it was that ability to communicate that really helped in all of my roles, kind of my thinking and how to storytell in different ways and how to manage that communication to different audiences that I never would have anticipated I was going to gain growing into it. You know, ultimately, I ended up shifting back to going to the end consumer audience, which is what I was looking for and why I ultimately moved to Activision. But that communication skill set I was able to gain has proved invaluable in all of my future roles. Mm, I love that. I love that. I was just listening to um, a person in the executive recruiting industry that places a lot of CMOs earlier this week. And he was talking about this need to cross-pollinate <laughs> marketers because of the various you know learnings you learn about the different levers of businesses, the different perspectives that you can come from. I mean, I think this is a perfect example of switching industries is a great way to do that as well. And the challenges are just as interesting, maybe sometimes harder <laughs> when you Absolutely. can't see or touch the product. But I think it it gives you learning that you you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So I love that. Love that example. Well, what advice, if you were starting this journey all over again, what advice would you give your younger self? No, this is a really tough question. <laughs> but I think it would be just don't be afraid to try new things and try hard things. And this is something now being a parent, I have to, it's so easy to remind them, but to remind yourself too, right? If you don't try something new, you're, you know, you're always afraid that you're not going to be good at it. But without trying something new, you're never actually going to get good at anything. <laughs> um, so it's yes. kind of the, this, this full circle back to my sewing example of, hey, I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to give it a try. And I, I just think that, that you limit yourself so much on what you're exposed to if you're not open to trying new things that you might not necessarily be good at. And maybe you might not like them, but you don't know that until you give it a try. I love it. I love it. Well, marketers tend to be kind of learners, if you will, in general, picking up new things. (laughs) I'm curious if there's a topic you're trying to learn more about or you think marketers need to be learning more about today. I I think it's probably something you hear a lot, but it still remains to be this rapidly evolving digital landscape from a lot of different capacities. And I think it's only ramped up since COVID. And if I take a step back, my six-year-old had a computer at the beginning of COVID, Mm. not because that's something that ever would have happened, but because of how we needed to adapt during that time. And it's just only advancing, you know, at at a much younger age, how ingrained into that digital natively they are in that digital landscape. And so from a couple of business examples within there, obviously AI is that the big kind of one that everyone's talking about right now. And one of the examples, and it's, it'll be so interesting to watch how it evolves. One of the interesting examples I was reading about the other day was this, this Maybelline viral out of home placement. 
I don't know if you saw it, but they put eyelashes on a London Ouch. tube train. Yes. Yeah, and it I did went see through that. this giant mascara wand, but ultimately none of that existed. It was all done through AI. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure how the industry will adapt to this. You know, it's a very cost-effective way to get the viral campaign going, but at the same time, it's almost like fake advertising. And, and what are those codes and practices that we're going to develop to catch up to kind of where we are? So it's, a, it's just a fast, fascinating case study on how to get creative at marketing, but then watching how that landscape shifts to what is and is not going to be accepted, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, no. as, as kind of truth and not. But I, th- I thought it was a brilliant campaign. I'm like, what? And then what is it? What do you mean it wasn't real and you couldn't go find this? But you know, because it looked so, so actual. But so AI and how that impacts us on a daily basis, I think there, there are little ways we're already integrating it in our side, but trying to find those right connection points with your consumer and how it can help them. And then I think as part of that digital landscape, it's like that, that ever-evolving influencer landscape as well. I think people are becoming much more skeptical of just straight ads. So how do you still generate content that resonates with consumers and also at the same time maintaining your brand? So I think that those are a lot of challenges that we're facing out there and trying to find that right balance. But it will continue to evolve and we just have to continue to stay as on top of it and up to date as we can um, and, and keep learning, as you mentioned, new topics and new things as they come out on a daily basis. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's lovely. I did not know that that Maybelline thing was not real. Isn't that crazy? That is nuts. <laughs> that is nuts. I, I don't know how many times I saw it on like my feed and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. But if somebody else did something similar. I want to say it was a handbag company where they had like cars driving around a, a country, like a, a cityscape. Maybe it was London or Paris. I can't remember. But I knew that one was fake because having a handbag literally driving around the streets <laughs> didn't make any sense at all. But uh, but it, it, your points on all those things, AI and the use of it, the influencer landscape. I mean, there's one thing that is constant in marketing is that there's always something new <laughs> right. happening somewhere in our function. It's amazing. Well, two more questions for you and then I'll, I'll let you go. But like, are there, are there any trends or subcultures that you're following you think other people should take notice of? Yeah, I think that this one, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit broader yeah, from sure. my perspective. And it's not necessarily a subculture, but one of those things that happens in kind of a marketer's landscape at, at different points in time is that generational shift. And right now we're watching that really closely because we are on the cusp of that millennial to Gen Z. So the average first time mom in the US is 27 and the oldest Gen Z is now 26. So Mm -hmm. you're just watching this shift happen. And so it's just really critical to stay up to date on where your customers fall and how those attitudes and preferences are shifting over time. Um, So I think one of the things we saw of millennials and in the example I would use for Munchkin is that they were very focused on how do they maintain a sense of self even as becoming a parent, right? Mm -hmm. And that was really important. And this Gen Z is more of they see a baby as an extension of themselves. So it seems a little subtle, but it's, it's different in the way that they're now interacting with their kids. And so we have to think about that from kind of a product design perspective and really making simple products that are about, about reducing that complexity um, in their day-to-day lives and fitting in and embracing how those, those work together. And our stroller, I think, is an awesome example of we have now made the most compact stroller to make it easier for them to be on the go with their baby. So it folds up really nice and simple, fits in an overhead compartment. 
and this just becomes an extension of themselves and they traveled before and now they will travel again with their baby. Mm-hmm. And so that, that focus on how do you change as your customer base is changing, I think is a really important one to, to stay on top of. Uh, again, another product I wish I had. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, folding a stroller at the gate as you're like trying right, to... Right, and leaving it behind. Yeah, uh, you don't yeah. have to do that anymore. Worrying that somebody is going gonna to drop out of the plane, you know, and, and break and that you're without a stroller. But yes, man, all these great, great products. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, last question for you. What do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? You know, we talked about it a little bit before, but I think, you know, outside the changes we're seeing in digital, which we talked about, also the changes that we're seeing in the retail landscape. And I think that the brands that anticipate and adapt to these changes are ultimately going to win. I I think that that line between brick and mortar and e-com is just becoming an increasingly blurry and increasingly hybrid model. And I think I was listening to a podcast recently and they talked about retail isn't dead, but bad retail is, is dead. And so how do brands find the right way to partner with their customers to build those branded experiences? I, I think that consolidation is only going to continue. So how do we evolve and, and find the consumer still in this endless aisle that e-commerce offers us and bringing it to brick and mortar? So I, I think those brands that remain nimble and focused and partnering with their retailers are really going to have a great opportunity to grow market share. But it is changing. And if you don't adapt, I think it's going to cause really quick negative business impacts. Yeah. Great point. And Kristen, thank you so much for spending time with us and coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today. And you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.